Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Yeah, Noah, welcome to It's TechTastic. Uh, you're the host of a podcast called The Fourth Age, and you've got uh, a theory that you came about, well, you said about a decade ago, that seems really important today with the emergence of these very complex large language models and AI. Uh, so welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me here, Christian. So I really want to get into the realization, like your, uh, your, is it a theory? Is it like, where, where are you at with that? What is it actually that you've discovered? Yeah, sure. So it's pretty far down the road. There are a few people that are attempting to build markets that would use the technology. The US Patent Office has conceded that the idea has never been had before and it looks like it works and that they will absolutely not allow it to be patented for any reason that they can express to anybody that they're willing to talk to. They've given me two acceptances. They've decided not to act on either of them that's heading to patent court in two years. They have advanced no arguments which they are willing to claim make sense. So we'll find out what happens then, I guess. Essentially, at its core is a re-understanding of what's going on in the marketplace from an information point of view. We're somewhat used to buying things with money. We're actually somewhat used to using these things with credit cards and pay with your phone and Sometimes people use Bitcoin or whatever. And so we're sort of toddling our way towards the idea that the economy is an information machine. I've just taken a look at it. It's like, okay, so it is an information machine. How do we secure and measure good information and bad information? I like to think about things in terms of signal and noise. I've come up with a way to take the transaction that's about buyers and sellers coming together and turning it into a transaction of a group of producers, a group of consumers, and a group of informed speculator negotiators where each group is developing the best product it can. In the case of producers, it's the product that's on offer in this marketplace. In the case of consumers, it's the currency that you're using. And in the case of informed forecaster, negotiator, speculator, no great name for this exists yet. It's information about what good deals are by designing a market to have basically three different doors and letting people walk through as many or a few doors as they want to. We create a marketplace that it's not just a lot more algorithmically robust, so it should find prices more effectively and less costly than the markets that we presently have, but also robust against inhuman involvement because the interests are directly aligned to the actions. We can use these AIs and train them up and they will earn money by earning us money, not by manipulating things and causing the markets to stabilize, which is a lot of what we see right now. Now. So my first thought was that you were going to talk about information as currency because in a lot of near sci-tech futures, there's a replacement of currency. Like there is no more currency. There's no money. Like Star Trek's a good example of it. Like there's no money. People are out being altruistic and being their best self and they're getting what they need. And there seems to be stratification of, you know, some people are more powerful and wealthy or whatever than others, but there's no mechanism for it as far as I can tell. In some of those shows, not Star Trek, but in some other shows, there is information as currency that 
that occurs, but that's not really what you're talking about, is it? Not really, no. So the thing is, it's not so much that information is currency, it's currency is information. Currency is a unit that we use to measure human desire in the economic sphere. It's a bad idea to use that to measure human desires in non-economic spheres, but it's the best thing we've got within the various moves to try to eliminate currency are really cries to to shrink the economic sphere and allow cultural or political power to simultaneously have economic power. And historically, that's been a really bad idea. And I guess the only good news about it is that it never lasts all that long. Our fundamental view of uh, economic power and you know the dollar or anything else has traditionally been tied to labor or you know goods produced via labor. Like when you think of the Industrial Revolution, it was really about uh, expanding the power of the dollar to create more for less direct involvement of the person with the capital. And so as we move towards AI, which is really an automation of all things, autonomous vehicles is replacing a driver or many, many drivers, right? If taxi driver, you're the driver of the truck, pilot of the plane. All of a sudden, there's a displacement of the human need to be part of the economic engine at all. Uh, yeah, I don't think that that's actually reasonable because the driver of the economic engine is actually human desire. The various things that you're talking about don't get involved in actually affecting or automating those human desires. We could see a disconnect and a change in the value and and values of work in any major socially disrupting change there's a lot of drive towards the status quo um, and so for example during the opening of the industrial revolution there were a lot of people saying that in spite of the fact that people could get off the farm and make a lot more money in the factories it was fundamentally bad that people wouldn't be serfs or slaves anymore because at least being owned either directly in case of slaves or indirectly because the lord owns the land that you belong to care would be had whereas these modern hard charging uh factory owners might pay a lot of money but they'll just discard you like any other used machine when it's over and indeed we see a lot of that but we also saw so much more wealth being produced that individuals and families could have their own nest eggs and sort of plan their own futures their own lives within communities that were vastly wealthier and vastly more capable. That's the direction, if this is going to work out, that we need to be pushing in is how do we bring on board these things in ways that align with our human interests and enhance our human capacities, not simply sort of turbocharge the existing slight winners into into these hyper winners that we're presently seeing who are really kind of making the world fall apart because they don't know how to run everything because they never did before <laughs> as they suck up more and more of the cultural attention, the political focus, and the, the economy, their responsibilities have already expanded far beyond their capacities. That's a really interesting way of framing it. The way that I've been thinking about the question that you kind of brought up there is the winners and the and the losers. Like there's going to be a very small number of winners because the more uh, capital I have to expend, the more I can acquire and the more I can automate and the more I can displace more and more people and I get more value from the, the greater the displacement, the more value I create. Since that creation is solely for me as the individual in investor you know, creator, whatever I am, I'm 
solely incentivized to do that. I'm not incentivized to make the world a better place for everybody else. I'm not incentivized to create opportunity for you. I'm incentivized to accumulate the most value for me. And I haven't come up with a thought even on how we correct that. And it sounds like your model is a, a way for us to push against that and create a way forward that benefits more of us, or at least gives more opportunity. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, while it might superficially look like that's a reasonable strategy, it's a dead end because the values at base are human values. And so that trap of simply sort of walking into a hall of mirrors and apparently being surrounded by an army, what you're actually doing is diminishing the amount of value that exists by diminishing the capacity of individuals and, and algorithms to help the system as a whole. And that's, that's why we've seen radically increased levels of economic destabilization, radically increased levels of political destabilization, and everything else that goes along with those things. So if I was listening to this podcast right now and I wanted to know more about uh, your theory and what you're putting forward here, how would I find out more? So I have a website at core disk c-o-o-r-d-i-s-c that explains how my system functions there's also a white paper that I download you reach out to me directly noah p healy at yahoo.com or you can listen to me jabber with uh, marty wiener late of reddit about ai and what we can do for the future at the fourth age or connect with me on linkedin i'm the noah healy there fantastic that's a that's a lot of avenues to approach and get get more information so thank you for that let's see there, there's so many things that we can cover i mean there's just so many topics that you touched on that I'm like, my God, we could go on forever here. One of them for me, as I as I was listening to it, and I'm trying to pick apart and find what's, there's something exciting here and I can't quite put my finger on it. So the exciting thing is that we have been living in the shadow of super intelligent marketplaces since the Renaissance. And there's a reasonable argument to be made that that's what kicked off the Renaissance, that caused the cycle of wealth creation that we here on planet Earth are only alive because of. And during the 20th century, we ran a little experiment to see whether or not having those super intelligences was really valuable or whether or not you could just get by with a bureaucratized political system of people all wanting to pull together uh, in order to support a, a singular vision. And it turns out you can't do that at all. The differential between the sort of failed economic experiments of, of the fascists and the communists during the 20th century and the markets is similar in size to the degree of gain that can be had with these new marketplaces. And so we could be looking at an entirely new cycle of improved economic growth to at least have our arguments about how the rest of the cultural, political, and religious issues, at least that first layer of society's Maslow hierarchy we could we could we could step up to a place that we've never been before and that new world of opportunity gives us i think the room to work on some of these other even bigger and and more important problems there's so many topics that we could go down the range of one of them is the libertarian view of markets as the perfect system for making decisions about right and wrong and that's a topic that usually lends itself to a different type of podcast and so i don't i don't want to necessarily dig into that particular piece. But another is to take a look at some of the, the markets that were emergent during the like the middle of the like the 20 teens, the, the you know, 2010, the ad tech marketplaces kind of exploded. There was a few of them and there ended up being a couple winners. 
Uh, I'll pick on AdTech because I was very involved in it. I was at AppNexus. AppNexus was acquired by AT&T. We built one of the, the first significant marketplaces um, for information sharing. And it was really around two different parts, right? You had the the user, the person that was going to a piece of content and wanted to get access to it, but they didn't want to pay for it because the, the money incentive wasn't there. Um, and then you had the publisher or the creator, they obviously wanted to give content, they wanted eyeballs, but they wanted to extract wealth from it. They wanted to make money off of it. So the advertiser became the intermediary and the advertiser wanted the eyeballs. And so they were willing to pay money to the publisher, right? That's the, the whole model. Right. But it went both ways. So the, the advertiser wanted to know everything they possibly could about the, the viewer. So we had to build up pro profiles. We had to create a bunch of different like commoditized views of every individual so that we could package them together and sell them. We'd, we'd look at Noah and say, Noah is bing, 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 bing. These categories, we're gonna put him into those and then we can package him up when somebody looks and says they want a whatever, they want a, a tech person, they might say, oh, Christian's a tech person, put him in that category. But on the other side, they also wanted to know everything about the content because they wanted to make sure that I'll give Nike was my favorite example of this. Nike might want to buy all ads that had Tiger Woods as the content, maybe, but they'd be more willing right. if it was Tiger Woods had just won a master's. They'd definitely want to be more interested in that, but they wouldn't want it if it was like my wife who has no care about golf, they probably wouldn't want that ad. So it was important to have both sets of context. And those types of marketplaces were, there was a bunch of them that were emerging at that period of time. And now they're all effectively gone because there's one. Right. Well, so that's one of the interesting things about intercompetition of marketplaces is that to date, we are unaware of how there can't be a singular winner within the context of a singular product because either there's no difference between any two marketplaces, in which case whichever one is bigger wins in which case there will only be one, or there is a difference between two marketplaces, in which case the people who are in the better one will have advantages over the people that aren't in the better one. And the people that aren't will either switch or be driven out of business by the people who have this coherent and consistent advantage over. And this is essentially the story of the Renaissance rise of Europe. Uh, the Northern Italian city-states developed the, the modern you know, people shouting at each other in a pit market. The Spanish transferred that to uh, Amsterdam and Antwerp by digging up all the silver here on this side of the planet and shipping it to Belgium. And then the English took over by deciding to come up with fiat currency banks at roughly the same time that their engineers worked out how to start extracting useful work from coal that you could just find on the ground in places like Newcastle. We've had this progression of the marketplace moving a little bit to where it's more geographically easy to find lubricating currency. And now, you know, Chicago, New York, City of London are kind of the global economic brain. But they're using the same market design that we've been using for eight centuries. And we know what the problems with that are. There are very powerful groups that are building systems that are causing that marketplace to degrade, which is why we see increased frequency of flash crashes, why we've seen increased frequency of bubbles. Um, you know, it used to be once every few generations, once people sort of figured out that there wasn't a free lunch. Now it's, you know, faster than once a decade, basically. That's that's pretty different. And and it's being driven because computers exist. 
people can use computers to make themselves more money within the marketplace. And by doing so, they decrease the stability of the market. So if, if people get together and start adopting my model, the algorithm is hundreds of thousands of times more efficient at scale. So we can just switch over to, to this and abandon the, uh, the ramshackle system that's seen its best days. That's a, a big claim, and I, I love that you took it. Um, I, I, I'm going to want you back on the show because I'm going to do a lot more research. I'm going to go check out uh, your, well, I'm going to listen to your podcast, of course, but I'm going to go uh, to coredesk.com. Is that correct? Coredesk.com? Yes. Yeah, and uh, read about it so that I can, I, I can have uh, deeper thoughts about it. This was a good introduction. My, my usual pitch is, you know, computational mathematics uh, and the computer is a bigger deal than steam engines. Steam engines wiped out the political, cultural, and economic norms of the societies that invented them. And the societies that were raised up by them went on to conquer the world and we're living in those societies today. We would have to be insane to believe that our our institutions could withstand computers. And so we'll either build the ones that have a future or, you know, go down with them as, as they fail. Yeah, is that where you came up with the fourth age name? Is that... Yes, yeah. yes. My, my contention is that there's been three kind of real tears in, in sort of the, the progress technologically. Uh, and that'd be the plow, the steam engine, the computer. Uh, I usually start with fire, but yeah. <laughs> uh, fire, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not as much on fire. Uh, and there's other ancient technologies that were obviously huge deals, but the reason I'm not much on fire is that it's a pre-human invention, um, and so I don't count that uh, as a as a human innovation. I get you there. I, it's the one that allowed us to become human, though. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of other cool things. I mean, we can talk about uh, the the development of spinal cords and brains uh, <laughs> in the first place. Uh, <laughs> we could, you yeah, know, yeah. we can get into some stuff that we really don't understand all that well <laughs> as being very clearly critical to where at what we got here today. But just kind of within the historical period, um, I think I think there's there's the three those are my three biggies okay well that's fantastic hey Noah thank you for being on Techtastic it was wonderful to have you and I look forward to having you in the future again awesome Thanks. I'll look forward to that as well and that's a wrap for this episode of Techtastic I want to thank you personally for joining us and we'll see you next time until then keep exploring and stay curious <laughs>